Section 20 of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter 20 Little Miss Sonnet's Opportunity. My mother-in-law's convalescence was as rapid as the progress of her sudden illness had been. By the day that I gave my first history lecture before the Lotus Study Club, she was well enough to dismiss Dr. Pettit with one of her sudden imperious speeches, and to make plans that evening for the welcoming and entertaining of her daughter Harriet and her famous son-in-law, Dr. Edwin Braithwaite, who were expected next day on their way to Europe, where doctor was to take charge of a French hospital at the front. That night I could not sleep. The exciting combination of happenings effectually robbed me of rest. I tried every device I could think of to go to sleep, but could not lose myself in even a doze. Finally, in despair, I rose cautiously not to awaken Dicky and slipping on my bathrobe and fur-trimmed mules, made my way into the dining-room. Turning on the light, I looked around for something to read until I should get sleepy. "'What is the matter, Mrs. Graham? Are you ill?' Miss Sonnet's soft voice sounded just behind me. As I turned, I thought again, as I had many times before, how very attractive the little nurse was. She had on a dark blue negligee of rough cloth, made very simply, but which covered her night attire completely, while her feet, almost as small as a child's, were covered with fur-trimmed slippers of the same color as the negligee. Her abundant hair was braided in two plates and hung down to her waist. "'You look like a sleepy little girl,' I said impulsively. "'And you like a particularly wakeful one,' she returned mischievously. "'I am glad you are not ill. I feared you were when I heard you snap on the light. "'No, you did not waken me. In fact, I have been awake nearly an hour. "'I was just about to come out and rob the water of a cracker and a sip of milk "'in the hope that I might go to sleep again when I heard you.' "'Splendid!' I ejaculated while Miss Sonnet looked at me wonderingly. "'Can your patient hear us out here?' "'If you could hear her snore, you would be sure she could not,' Miss Sonnet smiled. "'And I partly closed her door when I left. She is safe for hours.' "'Then we will have a party,' I declared triumphantly. "'A regular boarding-school party.' "'Then on to the kitchen!' She raised one of her long braids of hair and waved it like a banner. We giggled like fifteen-year-old schoolgirls as we tiptoed our way into the kitchen, turned on the light, and searched refrigerator, pantry, bread-and-cake boxes for food. "'Now for our plunder,' I said as we rapidly inventoried the eatables we had found. Bread, butter, a can of sardines— eggs, sliced bacon, and a dish of stewed tomatoes. I wish we had some oysters or cheese. Then we could stir up something in the chafing dish, I said mournfully. 
Do you know, I believe I have a chafing dish recipe we can use in a scrapbook which I always carry with me, responded Miss Sonnet. It is in my suitcase at the foot of my couch. I'll be back in a minute. She noiselessly slipped into the living room and returned almost instantly with a substantially bound book in her hands. She sat down beside me at the table and opened the book. I couldn't live without this book, she said extravagantly. In it I have all sorts of treasured clippings and jottings. The things I need most I have pasted in. The chafing dish recipes are in an envelope. I just happened to have them along. She was turning the pages as she spoke. On one page, which she passed by more hurriedly than the others, were a number of Kodak pictures. I caught a flash of one which made my heart beat more quickly. Surely I had a print from the same negative in my trunk. The tiny picture was a photograph of Jack Bickett, or I was very much mistaken. What was it doing in the scrapbook of Miss Sonnet? I put an unsteady hand out to prevent her turning the page. It was Jack Bickett's photograph. I schooled my voice to a sort of careless surprise. Why, isn't this Jack Bickett? She started perceptibly. Yes, do you know him? He is the nearest relative I have, I returned quickly, a distant cousin, but brought up as my brother. Her face flushed. Her eyes shone with interest. Oh, then you must be his Margaret, she cried. As the words left Miss Sonnet's lips, she gazed at me with a half-frightened little air, as if she regretted their utterance. "'I beg your pardon, Mrs. Graham,' she said contritely. "'You must think I have taken leave of my senses. "'But I have heard so much about you.' "'From Mr. Bickett?' "'My head was whirling. "'I had never heard Jack speak the name of Sonnet. "'Indeed, I would never have known he had met her, "'save for the accidental opening of her scrapbook "'to this picture when she and I were searching for chafing-dish recipes.' "'Oh, no, indeed. I have never seen Mr. Bickett myself.' A rosy, embarrassed flush stole over her face as she spoke. Her eyes were starry. Through my bewilderment came a thought which I voiced. "'That is his loss, then. He would think so if he could see you now.' She laughed confusedly, while the rosy tint of her cheeks deepened. "'I must explain to you,' she said simply. I have never seen Mr. Bickett, but my brother is one of his friends. They used to correspond, and I enjoyed his letters as much as Mark did. I think he is a wonderful personality, don't you? Naturally, I returned, a trifle dryly. The little nurse was revealing more than she dreamed. There was romantic admiration in every note in her voice. I was not quite sure that I liked it but I put all selfish considerations down with an iron hand and smiled in most friendly fashion at her. Isn't it wonderful that after hearing so much of each other we should meet in this way? I said heartily. If only our brothers were here. Miss Sonnet's face brightened again. Is Mr. Bickett in this country? She asked, her voice carefully nonchalant. 
I have not heard anything about him for two or three years. He sailed for France a week ago, I answered slowly. He intends to join the French Engineering Corps. There was a long moment of silence. Then Miss Sonnet spoke slowly, and there was a note almost of reverence in her voice. That is just what he would do. And then, impetuously, how I envy him. Envy him? I repeated incredulously. Yes, indeed. Her voice was militant, her eyes shining, her face aglow. How I wish I were a man ever since this war started. I am just waiting for a good chance to join a hospital unit, but I do not happen to know any surgeon who has gone, and, of course, they all pick their own nurses. But my chance will come, I am sure of it, and then I am going to do my part. Why, my great-grandfather was an officer in Napoleon's army. I feel ashamed not to be over there. I saw very little of Dickie's sister and her husband during the week they spent in New York before sailing for France. True, Harriet spent some portion of every day with her mother, but she ate at our table only once, always hurrying back to the hotel to oversee the menu of her beloved Edwin. Reasoning that in a similar situation I should not care for the presence of an outsider, I left the mother and daughter alone together as much as I could without appearing rude. I think they both appreciated my action, although, with their customary reserve, they said very little to me. Dr. Braithwaite came twice during the week to see us, each time making a hurried call. Harriet appeared to wish to impress us with the importance of these visits from so busy and distinguished a man. But the noted surgeon himself was simple and unaffected in his manner. One thing troubled me. I had done nothing— said nothing to further Miss Sonnet's desire to go to France as a nurse. She had left us the day after Dickie's sister and brother-in-law arrived, left with the admiration and good wishes of us all. The big surgeon himself, after watching her attention to his mother-in-law upon the day of arrival, made an approving comment. "'Good nurse, that,' he had said." I took the first opportunity to repeat his words to the little nurse, who flushed with pleasure. I knew that I ought to at least inquire of the big surgeon or his wife about the number of nurses he was taking with him, but there seemed no fitting opportunity, and I did not make one. I did not try to explain to myself the curious disinclination I felt to lift a hand toward the sending of Miss Sonnet to the French hospitals. But every time I thought of the night she had told me of her wish, I felt guilty. Jack was already somewhere in France. If Miss Sonnet entered the hospital service, there was a possibility that they might meet. I sincerely liked and admired Miss Sonnet. My brother-cousin had been the only man in my life until Dicky swept me off my feet with his tempestuous wooing. My heart ought to have leaped at the prospect of their meeting and its possible result, but I felt unaccountably depressed at the idea instead. The last day of the Braithwaite's stay, 
Harriet came unusually early to see her mother. "'I can stay only a few minutes this morning, mother,' she explained as she took off her heavy coat. "'I know,' in answer to the older woman's startled protest, "'it is awful this last day, too. I'll come back toward night, but I must get back to Edwin this morning. He is so annoyed. One of his nurses has fallen ill at the last moment and cannot go.' He has to secure another good one immediately, that he may get her passport attended to in time for tomorrow's sailing. And he will not have one unless he interviews her himself. I left him eating his breakfast and getting ready to receive a flock of them, sent him by some physician he knows. I must hurry back to help him through. Miss Sonnet's opportunity had come. I knew it knew also that I must speak to my sister-in-law at once about her. But she had finished her flying little visit, and was putting on her coat before I finally forced myself to broach the subject. Mrs. Braithwaite, to my disgust I found my voice trembling, I think I ought to tell you that Miss Sonnet, the nurse your mother had, wishes very much to enter the hospital service. She could go to-morrow, I am sure, and I remember your husband spoke approvingly of her. My sister-in-law rushed past me to the telephone. The very thing! She threw the words over her shoulder as she took down the receiver. Thank you so much! Then, as she received her connection, she spoke rapidly, enthusiastically. Edwin, I have such good news for you! Dicky's wife thinks that little Miss Sonnet, who nursed mother, could go to-morrow. She said while she was here that she wanted to enter the hospital service. Yes, I thought you'd want her. All right. I'll see to it right away and telephone you. By the way, Edwin, if she can go, you won't need me this forenoon, will you? That's good. I can stay with mother, then. Take care of yourself, dear. Good-bye. She hung up the receiver and turned to me. "'Can you reach her by phone right away? And if she can go, tell her to go to the Clinton at once and ask for Dr. Braithwaite.' I paid a mental tribute to my sister-in-law's energy as I, in my turn, took down the telephone receiver. I realized how much wear and tear she must save her big husband. "'Miss Sonnet?' I could not help being a bit dramatic in my news. Can you sail for France to-morrow? One of Dr. Braithwaite's nurses is ill, and you may have her place if you wish. There was a long minute of silence, and then the little nurse's voice sounded in my ears. It was filled with awe and incredulity. If I wish, and then, after a pregnant pause, "'Surely I can go. Where do I learn the details?' I gave her full directions, and hung up the receiver with a sigh. She came to see me before she sailed, and after she had left me, I went into my bedroom, locked the door, and let the tears come which I had been forcing back. I did not know what was the matter with me. I felt a little as I did once long before— when a cherished doll of my childhood had been broken beyond all possibility of mending. Unreasonable as the feeling was, 
it was as if a curtain had dropped between me and any part of my life that lay behind me. End of chapter 20